0: Lord, for thy grace, that we thy dwelling
1: place may be.
2: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21 year book by book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This life study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Bible is not an ordinary book. Though it surely contains a lot of history, we should not read it as a history book. It also contains scores of moral and behavioral imperatives, but we should not take it as a book of ethics. Neither should we approach the Bible as a book of philosophy. Because beyond all of these things, history, ethics, philosophy, the Bible is in its essence God's own breath, revealing the Christ of God and able to convey God himself as life into those who come to it seeking nothing else but his very person. John Pester has joined us as we come to our third life study in this, uh, I think, extraordinary life study in the book of Psalms. And John, in the last uh, two programs, the first two in this new life study, we've already seen... A contrast that probably has been missed by most Bible readers, even through the ages, surely including you and I before we were uh, helped. Most definitely, yeah, to kind of see this book in a very fresh way. And the contrast, I think, is particularly highlighted. I've just selected a couple of verses from the first two pages of the Book of Psalms. Shows us this contrast. Now, both of these psalms, one and two, were written by David, uh, as most of the psalms were. Yet, what we see in Psalm one. And in verses 1 and 2, he says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of Jehovah. And in his law, he meditates by day and by night. In Psalm 2, we see a lot of things, but I've just selected a couple of striking phrases. Uh, in verse 12, he says, Kiss the sun." Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. We have a contrast of that's unmistakable now that we've seen it. Of course, it's like so many things, John, uh, until it's pointed out. But now that we've seen it, you can't miss it, can you, the law and the Son?
1: I think the key to understanding the Psalms and really getting the significance out of the book of Psalms is to realize the point that Paul makes to Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed which means that the Scripture originates from God. Right, He is the source, and the Scripture ultimately conveys and imparts God's thought, God's revelation, and God desires to present his Son to us and present us to his Son. He desires that we would be joined as one, and so all of the Scripture has this as the ultimate view in mind. There is, however the human involvement with the Word. And sometimes when we come to the Word, we bring our thoughts to the Word. And God sovereignly allowed Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to be placed together to show this contrast. Psalm 1 shows man approaching God according to his concept, and Psalm 2 shows God presenting Christ to us according to his concept. And the higher view is in Psalm 2. The easier view to understand is David. It's very easy to consider and to desire to be a person who meditates on the Word day and night. It's another thing to be a person who desires just to kiss the Son, to exalt the Son, to come to the Son, and to allow God to establish His dwelling place and enlarge His Son in the believers through their experience of Him as life.
2: John, our first section today is another, I would say, kind of introductory word and a, a little glimpse into Witness Lee's uh, own uh, personal experience and some help he got from Watchman Knee, even in how to approach uh, the whole Bible. And certainly uh, that uh, played a role in how he opened up and interpreted the Psalms for us in this life study. So uh, he's going to make a couple of points. I think it'd be helpful to look at some New Testament verses in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And in 6.63, also in John, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And now in Ephesians, again, now we're back to the Apostle Paul, chapter 6, verse 17, And receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the Word of God. These verses show us a lot about what the Word is and its essence. All right, here's Witness
0: Lee. From my youth, I was taught, when you study the Bible, you have to get the secret of the Bible. That bothers me. What is the secret of the Bible? After quite a while, Brother Nee told us, you have to know the spirit of the Bible. This bothers me more. I said to myself, what is the spirit of the Bible? Have you ever heard this word? That the Bible, the written word, has a spirit. Later on, I saw the Lord said, My words that I spoken to you are the life and the spirit. The word is the spirit. It's not only that in the word there is the spirit, but it is that... The Word itself is the Spirit. So eventually, I got a conclusion. Here are three in one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. See? The Word of God. Then God is the Spirit. Then the Word is also the Spirit. God, the Word. And the spirit, the three are one. Have you got bothered? I fully got convinced this is right. We have to realize that the Bible is God's word. And the word is God's embodiment. That's Christ. And then he told us that whatever is spoken out of his mouth... That is the Spirit. Okay, now let's come back to Psalms 1 and 2. If you take this kind of a concept and take this kind of position, you will receive what? You will receive the Spirit. And you will see the secret. And you will see also the Spirit of the Bible.
2: John on one hand, it's encouraging to see that uh, Winneslee, as a young believer, struggled with many of the things that we struggle with. You know, I think we read these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was God. The Word became flesh. They do convey clearly how directly the triune God is related to the Word. Yet in our minds, and I think probably most of our listeners, we have a tendency to separate the Word from God, don't we? I mean, the Word is something that God gave, something that He did, something He has provided for us. But to see it in this kind of context is revolutionary.
1: We certainly do have this kind of very objective view of the Bible as the Word of God. We think it is a book, and that's what Bible means, the book. But we think of it as a book of history or, as you said at the beginning of the program, a book of moral imperatives, and thus we read it at a very superficial level. We look for the historical facts and try to prove or disprove them. We look at the moral imperatives and say, uh, I can do that or maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's out of date in this day in culture, and we we, yeah, we yeah. read it in a very, very superficial way. But Paul said that all scripture is God breathed, which meant that it is something that comes out of God's very being, not only conveying his thought, but conveying what he is. And so he says all scripture is God breathed. This means that uh, the Word is the very content of God. God is in the Word. The words that I speak, it doesn't say the words that I speak are full of spirit. It says the words that I speak are spirit and life. So the divine word, the holy Bible, conveys and imparts God. And if that is our view, when we come to the word, we will receive that. If we come to the word and think that it is only a book of history, we'll look for historical facts. If we look at the Bible as only a book of moral ethics and imperatives, well, that's what we'll try to judge, whether or not should I do that or should I not do that. But if we realize that the words that he speaks are spirit and that this spirit is contained in this Bible... When we come to the Bible, we will receive spirit, and we will receive life. And we will receive God, and God will be imparted into our being. And that's how we need to approach the Bible. We need to realize that this book is different from every other book in history. It's a book, and it looks like a book, but it is different (laughs) from every other book in the history of mankind because it comes out of God and it conveys God, and it imparts God. And when you realize that, when you realize that there's this deeper level to the Bible, when you come to it, we'll receive it, and it will be imparted into us. And the wonderful thing about it is is that we won't read the Bible at a superficial level. We won't mm. read our concepts into the Bible. We'll let the Bible read its reality, its life, its spirit into us and write it on our hearts.
2: John, let's go uh, back to Witness Lee. Now we come to uh, a passage in Matthew. Uh, I think he's going to illustrate the contrast uh, marvelously in this portion. And this is the, uh, uh, and I'll just maybe summarize this story. The Lord takes the disciples, Peter, John, and James, up to the Mount of Transfiguration and unveils himself in his glory to them. And, of course, we know the story how Peter, quite excited as we would be, makes this declaration, Lord, it's so good for us to be here. We should build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I think the rest uh, of the story we realize, but the, the contrast here of what we're going to see out of this story is very helpful to uh, really get into the essence and the deeper aspect of the book of Psalms.
0: Do you believe that the spirit of the Bible exhausts the law given at Mount Sinai. You know what Peter did? You know in the month of Transfiguration. Eventually the two came beside Christ. Moses, Elijah, Peter, you know, that wonderful brother. He saw the situation. He got excited. He said, Lord, he's here. Very good. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Just after this word, right away. Hear him. Don't talk about Moses. Don't talk about Elijah. This is the spirit of the Bible. The Bible doesn't exalt anything. The law, the prophets, Moses, Elijah, The spirit of the Bible only exalts one person. That's Christ. You must understand why sovereignly Psalms were arranged in this way. First, Psalm 1, about the law. It concerns the keeping of the law. Right way after Psalm 1, who is here? Christ. Only Christ. No more Moses. No more Elijah only Christ then if you know the entire Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22 if you know the spirit of the Bible you know the spirit of the Bible only reveals what as the prominent one as the first one as God's centrality and universality nothing else And eventually, the Bible concludes with a new city. And that new city, New Jerusalem, is Christ with his full complement. The entire New Jerusalem will be a complement. A complement to whom? A complement of Christ and a complement to Christ. That's the Bible. And this is, could you see, the spirit of the Bible. The spirit of the Bible doesn't exalt anything, anyone, other than Christ.
2: Uh, John, this is uh, striking to me to be able to see this account again of the events on the Mount of Transfiguration in this light. It's made it a different uh, realization to me now. Don't you feel the same way? I mean, here you had the Lord revealing himself, but his inclusion of Moses and Elijah now takes on a, a much different significance, doesn't it?
1: I think that the inclusion of Moses and Elijah points to one thing, and that is that in our human concepts, we exalt many things other than the Lord himself. I appreciated what Witness Lee said at the very end, the spirit of the Bible only exalts Christ, yeah. but we exalt many things in addition to Christ. We, for example, in the Jews and Peter, they exalted the law and the prophets. They thought that was the pinnacle of God's revelation. They thought that was the content of God's revelation to them was the law and the keeping of the law. But what God exalts is Christ. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, you see this situation where Christ is transfigured, revealing his glory within, revealing that he is the anointed of God, and at the same time, Peter uh, sees Moses and Elijah. Uh, They appear beside him, and Peter is so enthralled to see all three of them, he regards them as equal. And so he says, let's build a tabernacle to Moses and one to you and one to Elijah. But the word that comes from heaven is, this is my beloved son, hear him. The law is holy, it's scriptural, but it's not central to God's ultimate purpose. God's ultimate purpose revolves only around his Son. The law is a child conductor unto Christ, and when it brings us to Christ, it should stop. It should cease. But in Peter's concept, they were equal. I was just struck we were talking that there was really no need for God to show Moses and Elijah except to expose Peter, to give Peter the opportunity to see within himself how much he was treasuring something other than Christ and to give God the opportunity to emphatically reemphasize that the spirit of the Bible, the spirit of my revelation to you, the spirit of my speaking is to convey and impart only Christ. So in some respects, when we look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, what you have is Psalm 1 is the law, and Psalm 2 is Christ. The emphasis in Psalm 1 is on fulfilling the law, but the emphasis in Psalm 2 is to exalt the Son, to receive the Son, to come to the Son, and to be filled with the Son in an atmosphere of loving and kissing Him.
2: Wow. Well, this theme of uh, the contrast between the law and Christ is consistent throughout the whole of Scripture. Uh, In Psalm 2, this uh, psalm that definitely gives Christ preeminence, we have a word, John, in verse 6. It says, But I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Well, we know that the law was given on a mountain also, Mount Sinai. And then we have the contrast, again, uh, illustrated by these two mountains. And they appear uh, many times in Scripture, as we'll hear in this uh, coming portion.
0: In the Bible, there is a book, a long book of 150 chapters, the Psalms. In the beginning, the first page is to keep the law. The second page is to keep Christ. Which is higher? To kiss the sin. And to keep the law. I say this to show you. Too many, including me, coming to the Bible, holding secretly, unconsciously, subconsciously, the natural concept. So, you don't get the revelation from the Bible into you, but you insert the Bible with your concept. You shouldn't exalt the keeping of the law that high. Right way, you are exalting your keeping of the law in Psalm 1, then you come to Psalm 2, you could see God declares I have set my king right in Zion my holy mountain. He proclaimed to all his people that he has sight his king in Zion, not in Sinai. If you would go on to study the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you could see these two mountains mean a lot. Hebrew 12 says, we are now not coming to Mount Sinai, but we are coming now to Mount Zion. Mount Sinai was the place where the law was given, right? And Mount Zion is the place where Christ today is. And Revelation 14 tells us that eventually you could see 144,000 all there in Zion, around the land, around Christ. You think those 144,000 we're there praising God for the law given at Mount Sinai. I think if you will do this, many will come to chase our way. <laughs> this is not Mount Sinai. This is Mount Zion. This is not a place to show you the law. This is a place to show you Christ, Amen. just Christ. Amen. This is the spirit of the Bible. But the sad thing is that God, chosen people, even believe in Christ. Yeah, they don't care for Christ. Think about it. What's your mount? Tell me. On what mountain you are today? Nearly all of us are on Mount Sinai. We are not disciples of Moses. We are disciples of Christ. But we are on the wrong mount. As disciples of Christ, Christ is on the mount of Zion. He's not on the Mount of Sinai, but we still linger there. Have you got it?
2: Well, uh, John, it makes a very uh, strong point, a concluding point, even for all of us. Of course, in our word, in our declaration, we're all New Testament believers. We're not the Old Testament law keepers. But how often do we spend most of our time lingering on the wrong mountain day by day?
1: Well, you know, we really are in many respects regenerated Old Testament Christians. We've been born of God. We've genuinely received the life of God, but we live much of our life in the Old Testament in the realm of right and wrong, in the realm of the law, and trying to fulfill the law because we think that is what God wants of us. We're like those Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai that when the law is given, their response is, all that Jehovah has commanded we will do. We think that it is possible for us to fulfill Jehovah's commands, and we endeavor to do that. But as Paul points out in Hebrews 12, Mount Sinai is a place of gloom, it is a place of fear, it is a place of trembling, and eventually it shows that we cannot bear the commandments of God. But Paul says, we have not come to Mount Sinai, we have come to Mount Zion, and psalm two the emphasis is not on sinai that's in psalm one right meditating on the law of god that's being at mount sinai but in psalm two there is a higher elevation of the revelation and even the acknowledgement experience of david to realize that god's desire is to install his king to establish his kingdom on mount zion Uh, Mount Sinai is a place of the law. Mount Zion is a habitation, the place where God dwells and lives and desires to dwell and live with his people in the person of his son. I just appreciate that word, that we have come to Mount Zion. Right In the Bible, there's Sinai, which is the law, there's Zion, which is the house of God. And God desires to bring us into the house with his son. And the way to do that is not to say, meditate in a religious way on the law of God to try to see how we can fulfill it and how we can be prospered, but rather to come to the Son Kiss the son, lest he be angry. What makes the son angry is not that we are not keeping the law, because he knows we can't keep the law. That's right. What makes him angry is that we have been regenerated, we have received his divine life, we are in an organic union with him, yet we fail to realize that, we fail to experience it, we fail to come to him and kiss him and love him. It is much easier to say in our natural self, I can do it, And it's much harder, just in your experience, to say, Lord Jesus, I love you. If, as Christians, we would daily say, instead of saying, Lord, what can I do to be better, we would say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I want you. Lord Jesus, I have you. Thank you for all that you are to me. And just come to the Lord in a loving way, receiving him, Mm -hmm. enjoying him. We need to be people who come to Jesus every day.
2: Wow. If the uh, intent, the spirit of the Bible, had been to exalt the law, surely God would have placed his king on Mount Sinai.
1: Right. And there is no Mount Sinai. Yeah. Ultimately, Ultimately, the the ultimate references to a mountain are to Mount Zion.
2: Even uh, the New Jerusalem is the enlarged Mount Mount Zion. Zion.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. There's no mention at all in uh, Revelation at the end. And even in the Old Testament
1: type, God did not stay on Mount Sinai. He came and he dwelt on Mount Zion, which is where the temple was. That's right.
2: Well, there is, a, uh, of course, a positive aspect to the law, many things that are brought out concerning the law, ultimately a conductor conducting us as children to Christ. We'll see a lot of these aspects develop further as we go on in this life study. But I think as a foundation to realize what is the spirit of the Bible and what is on God's heart, ultimately, in every page of the Bible, regardless of its topic, it's to bring us to Christ, to reveal Christ, and impart Christ. And John, I felt in some small measure, at least, there's been some of that impartation today. I appreciate your being here. Amen. And uh, we invite you also to contact us, and we'd like to see you get the printed material. These uh, Life Studies and Psalms are just magnificent. It would be a marvelous resource for you. If you'd like to contact us toll-free, our number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. For John Pastor, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. This program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Knee, please visit our website, LSM.org. Again, that's LSM.org. Thanks for listening today.